0: This episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code FILMCAST30. That's HelloFresh.com, promo code FILMCAST30. Welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm Jeff Kanata, and joining me tonight is... Ginger Hardware. We are without Dave Chen for one more week, but fear not, we have a-, a fantastic guest joining us. You remember her from our review of the Florida Project. I'm pleased to welcome from Riot Material, Christy Puchko, back to the show. Hey, Christy.
1: Hey, I'm so psyched to be back.
0: Yeah, we had such awesome feedback from from that episode. I, I just, I'm
2: um, yeah, everyone really loved you, Christy. It's kind oh, of uh, a, it's it's
0: great, great response.
1: <laughs> I had some people contact me on Twitter, which is nice because sometimes nice. I do podcasts and I hear nothing. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it was so fun talking to you, and I I think we're gonna have a great time tonight. We're gonna have our featured review of Lady Bird, which will be coming up later on in the show. But we'll also be talking about what we've been watching, and we'll talk about some news, both good and bad, I think. Let's start with what we've been watching. Uh, Christy, let's start with you. What what have you been watching this week?
1: Well, I'm really excited because I found out that two of like my m- probably favorite movies of the year, I'm still working on my top ten, so I hesitate to say like it's whatever, <laughs> but um, were things I saw at festivals that I kept kind of waiting for them to come out in theatrical release so I could like tell all my critic friends, like, go see these movies but they didn't come to theatrical release. They just kind of showed up on iTunes. So the bad news is that you won't see them in theaters. The good news is you can watch them right now. Um, the first one is called Rift or Recur. I don't speak Icelandic, so pardon me if I got that wrong, but <laughs> it is a horror movie that played a fantastic fest and at the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival this year, uh, which is where I reviewed it. And um, it's this, movie about these two men uh it's it's a horror movie slash a gay romance that whole thing
0: (laughs) yeah another one of those movies
1: right (laughs) we've all (laughs) been there um no but it's this really beautiful film uh that is about these men who have have broken up but one of them calls the other in the night he leaves this really cryptic message about like do you ever feel like when you're alone in the in the dark at night that you're not really alone and it's such a chilling message like that kicks off the film that the other one's like, I have to go see what he's doing because he's in this remote house where he grew up and like no one's around and what's going on. And it becomes this kind of surreal and creepy story about them kind of figuring out what's going on with their relationship and, and figuring out what's going on in the dark. And, Ooh. um, mm-hmm. I, I was just really blown away by it. Um, the director Erlinger, uh, I don't know how to say his last name. I'm going to go with Torudson, and if not Erlinger, I'm sorry. Um, he made a movie called Child Eater, which a friend of mine, uh, Perry Nemiroff, was a producer on a couple years ago. And so, like, I was like, oh, Erlinger, cool, I'll watch his movie. And I was so blown away by this, because, like, Child Eater is, like, this uh, you know, twisted creature feature about this, like, blind man that likes to eat children's eyes. It was, like, you know, a very different kind of farm movie. But Rift is, like, elegant and sad and beautiful, and there was one shot in it that scared me so bad. I had nightmares for like oh, several days.
2: Oh, the sign and of like, a good horror movie for sure. Right. And it's yeah.
1: like, it's not even something that's like graphic or whatever. And I can't say what it is, obviously because I would give it away, but it was just so well done that like, I was like, Oh, I'm fucked. Like I'm
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> just, like the image just stuck with me and I really think it's fantastic. So Rift highly recommend, awesome. um, or, it's, hey. or Recours, the, uh, Oh, R-O-K-K-U-R is the original title, which is Rift
0: in Icelandic. And this is something you you saw on iTunes.
1: Yeah, It is on iTunes. It's also on Amazon Prime. I think you have to pay to watch them. I don't think they're just like – I think. Uh, I don't think it's just on Amazon Prime. Oh, it's uh, just
0: the Amazon Video
2: rental.
1: Right, right. Sorry, yeah. you're right. Amazon Video. Actually, yeah, it says here on IMDb. It's there for $3.99. You can rent it. I highly recommend and uh, the other one is called Bad Genius, and it is an absolutely different movie. Um, I'm going to do one total 180. Um, I've been describing Bad Genius to people as Breakfast Club meets Ocean's Eleven.
0: I love um, that. That is mm-hmm. the greatest tagline ever.
1: It's so fun. It's basically about these kids who cheat on tests, and they're trying to cheat on like the version of the SATs they take in Thailand. And it's, genius it's just I saw it at Fantasia this summer right yeah I saw it at Fantasia and then I kept seeing it play at different festivals which I was stoked because every time I saw it was playing at the other festival I just re-promoted my review and I was just like everybody can see this. this movie is crazy but it's like there's a sequence about 10 minutes in and it's the first time these kids cheat and it's just because this girl's friend like Freaks out at a math test and she realizes that if she doesn't pass the math test, she's not going to get into the school play. The stakes are so low, but that's actually what makes it really funny because when you're in high school, everything feels so important. And because Mm -hmm. the film treats them as really important, there's like inherent comedy. So it's kind of like Shaolin soccer or something where like the comedy comes from low stakes treated with high octane.
2: Go on. So like Yes.
1: (laughs) Right. Right, so there's like this sequence where they're cheating just by writing all the answers on an eraser and she's passing the other girl the eraser, but instead of just passing her the eraser, it's shot like Mission Impossible. Like, she, like the score's freaking out and she like removes her shoe and then she drops the eraser on the shoe and the teacher's not looking and then she kicks the shoe back to the girl behind her who catches it between her feet so she can get the eraser. It's like this whole thing. I watched it in a packed audience of like grownups who have not had to take tests in a very long time And there were, like, screams of laughter and, like, huge gasps. And, like, when it gets to this massive finale where they do this insane plan to cheat on, like, basically the SATs, like, the audience was just completely enraptured. It's so (laughs) much fun. It's absolutely out there. And, like, honestly, it's one of the funnest times I've had a movie this, this year. It's so, so, so much fun. So look for Bad Genius.
0: And again, that's another one we can watch on demand at home. It's
1: on iTunes. Yeah,
0: on iTunes. All right, Bad Genius and Rift. Awesome, great movies that I hadn't even heard of, and now I go watch go watch there's both. There's so
1: of them. much fun. Like that's the thing that's killing me because I'm like, can I put them on a top ten? They weren't theatrically released, and there's all these weird uh, rules well, depending that, you on you know who that right?
2: makes you special in the film world, right? You, you have toys right. that nobody else has. That's cool.
1: Oh, there you yeah, go. That,
2: that means your that's top. That's really why
1: list I brought is... it up, guys. I'm cool. Yeah, <laughs> super hipster. That. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, Devendra, what is, what have you been watching?
2: Oh, a couple of things. Uh, I got to see The Disaster Artist, uh, the new James Franco movie, which is his retelling of the making of The Room. And, uh, you know, I didn't really expect much going to this movie. I've heard a lot of great things about it, honestly, since it was playing at festivals. Uh, mm-hmm. but I'm not part of The Room cult, you know, like that. I'm not a fan of watching things, ironically. I, I'm not mm-hmm. really into like the Sharknado and the bad movie phenomenon, Uh, The room is kind of different, I think, because there is this whole, like, it's a public viewing uh, culture around it, right? You go there to have fun, to make fun of this movie, um, which is fine. Uh, I did it once, like, when I first moved to New York. It's perfectly fine. Uh, Going to those screenings now is a nightmare, uh, just because (laughs) most people have gone many, many times, know the entire movie by heart... Uh, it's certainly not a great first viewing experience for the room. So it's kind of hard to say at the end of the day, the room is just a really, really bad movie. Um, so what's really amazing about the disaster Artist is that it really finds, I don't know, uh, like the core interesting idea behind all of this, right? Um, the room was like the dream of Tommy Wiseau and his friend, uh, Greg Sestero. And they want to make a movie of their own because they were both kind of failed actors when they tried to make it in Hollywood And there's, like, an underlying theme here of, like, following your dreams and the power of creativity. And, uh, you know, I think it explores some really interesting topics. The movie itself is really funny. has a great cast uh, filled with people you would not expect. Uh, There are the – first of all, it stars James Franco and it stars Dave Franco uh, playing Tommy and Greg. And I think that's a great pairing. I don't know. Have they been in a movie together?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I, I was gonna say so at
2: this point. Maybe this is the end or something. Like maybe yeah, I was both. just gonna right. say it might have been this is the end that they were. I remember
1: Dave end. was in super bad, mm-hmm. but then Franco, like James, wasn't.
2: Yes, yes, and here's the thing too. Like I think I've Dave Franco has really grown on me because he's kind of
1: hilarious. I love Dave. Yeah. I think he's the better Franco. I'm just gonna say that <laughs> for the record. Well, you know, uh,
2: you have your pick right now, right? You guys, <laughs> you guys are gonna Ranko the Franco. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh seth rogan's in this movie of course um i, I the, there's a lot of great comedy in it there's a lot of great str- uh it's it's a great story about the struggle of trying to create something meaningful trying to pursue your dreams and create meaningful art and so does it all. paint
1: uh-huh. does it paint these guys as heroes i i'm I mean, curious what your thought on this is Devendra. in some
2: ways it does kind of although i don't know if it paints them as like it's not like they cured cancer or anything. They they just, like, succeeded, they succeeded in making something that moved audiences. And I don't know how true to life...
0: Well...
2: Like, <laughs> yeah. It moved... It made people feel something. It has
0: gone down. <laughs> yeah, as not, like, not the thing they intended people feel. Not the to thing feel. they
2: intended. And that's, that's is... a little weird. I the movie doesn't reconcile, like, how deeply sexist The Room is and the themes of that movie, which are so fucked up. Like, it is... It's not a pleasant movie to watch if you're not in a crowd just making fun of it because Mm -hmm. nothing about it makes sense. And it's really, it is really messed up. I think uh, the disaster artist does a great job of like, it charts the romance around building something like that. And the the heartache and the struggles of doing that. It definitely doesn't ask the deeper questions because it, it's painting these guys as sort of heroes as sort of like these, accidental cultural icons but go ahead Chris. that's
1: actually where i have struggles with this because i saw it at south by southwest so i saw it the first time they presented it Mm -hmm. and all of that and um i saw it with tommy in the room and i'm not like i'm not a devotee yeah yeah Yeah. and i'm not a devotee of the the room i don't uh, like i don't know i just the whole thing makes me a little uncomfortable Mm -hmm. but i was curious about this movie and when in my review out of South by Southwest, which I wrote for CBR.com, I talked about how it doesn't feel like Tommy is the hero to me. Right. It feels like Greg is the hero. Greg is the protagonist of the film. And Tommy is the weirdo who is, like, in turn helping and hurting Greg.
2: Right. He's this weird creative force in a way. But the movie right. is based on a book co-written by Greg Sistero as well. And I yes. think even the book sounds like... It is recasting. He's trying to present himself in a better light. So he doesn't take full right. responsibility of creating like this disaster. Well, also, so, I yeah. think
1: it's that my problem is that you. So you have James Franco directing this. You have James mm-hmm. Franco starring in this. And in the film, there's a reoccurring theme about how Tommy Wiseau wants to be a leading man. He doesn't want to be the monster he doesn't want to be the weird guy he yep. wants to be the, the he wants James Franco's career that's what he wants <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the
0: room the room yeah. is the ultimate vanity project yes. right
1: yes. and ironically James Franco wants Tommy Wiseau's career he wants to be respected as this eccentric weirdo who's uncompromising <laughs> and right i mean <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Like, seriously but here's the problem James Franco is good looking so he can get away with that shit James Franco can do whatever the fuck he wants mm-hmm. he can call it art and everybody like can argue about it or whatever but he can do that Tommy Wiseau can never be giant James Franco, so inherently the movie to me feels a little bit like it's punching down. Specifically because, like, like the whole movie, people are laughing at Tommy. They're laughing at the accent, and like Franco does a hell of an impression or whatever. Yeah, but. It's just like I could never settle into it because I felt like the whole time they're acting like they're celebrating this guy, but they're making fun of him at the same time. And and it just feels like mm-hmm. you have like a legit movie star being like, look at this asshole. Like even if Franco's trying to celebrate him, it inherently within the context of who James Franco is comes off like he's like he's like looking down on him.
0: Mm-hmm. There's I, a I lot of think going that that's on in inevitable movie. though. Mm-hmm. It feels it feels inevitable, not not merely because of the casting, right? Even if it wasn't James Franco, if it was some some other actor that maybe didn't have the qualities you're talking about, I, I think it would always be punching down because it literally is a very high budget, well made, well funded yeah. movie.
2: With lots of Recreating the
1: opposite. Yeah, but the counter argument to, mm-hmm. to that is uh, Tim Burton's movie about um, Ed Wood. Yeah, Ed mm-hmm. Wood. Like, Ed Wood doesn't feel like it's making fun of Ed Wood. Ed Wood feels like it's recognizing his struggle and embracing him for making the movies he wanted to make. Like, you get that he's not good at it. You get that he's a joke. But don't you root for Ed Wood? I don't know that you root for Tommy Wiseau Hmm. and the Disaster Artist.
2: Honestly, I did get the sense that I felt like I was rooting for Tommy. I felt like the movie wanted me to. Uh, my problem is on another level whereas i don't know if it's a is it a good thing that i'm rooting for this guy right. in general who made this like deeply fucked up and problematic movie um you know on which level, is something
1: the movie doesn't deal with at the movie all Movie doesn't touch
2: it at all yeah. yeah so that's honestly that's my like weird askew vision of like how to how to watch this movie but i see what you're seeing too uh christy like it's There's a lot going on in this movie. And depending on what you bring to it, uh, you will have a lot of different ratings. Um, Like uh, James Dean is a big part of this movie, right? Of Tommy Wiseau wanting to be (laughs) James Dean. And it's really funny because when Franco, like during his debut and then like Freaks and Geeks and everything, everyone was talking about James Franco like he was the next James Dean.
1: Right. And there's it's this clear. weird you metatextual seriously... thing
2: going on there. Yeah.
1: Right. It's like James Dean and Tommy Wiseau are like bizarro world versions of each other. <laughs> and I think Franco thinks that, too, on some level. But again, like James Franco can be Tommy Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau can never be James Franco. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And there's just like an yeah. inherent privilege and entitlement there that makes the movie really uncomfortable for me to watch.
0: I, I hear that. I'm very curious to see this. I, I was hoping to see it before we had our discussion, but I, I didn't get a chance to. And I'm really anxious to see it because I, I've seen The Room several times and watched it in small groups at, at a house laughing mm-hmm. and in larger <laughs> groups in a theater laughing. And, um, you know, I, I, I and yes, all of that laughing on a certain level is mean-spirited, you know, like you kind of feel bad for laughing at it. But also, I relate in, in, a lot, in a large sense to that feeling of moving to LA and wanting having those big dreams and trying to, sure, but I find it so fascinating. Your comparison to Ed Wood, I, I think that's a really, I didn't occur to me to even think that way, but it's such a great comparison because I feel like Ed Wood sort of dreamed big and didn't have the means to, to fulfill the promise. He also didn't have
1: talent. Like, let's be real.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. But also like, that's not what's going on with The Room. Like, The Room isn't isn't bad because you didn't have the special effects budget. Right. <laughs> the Room is bad on literally every level that a movie can be bad. <laughs> and it's it, – I mean, it is a train wreck of epic proportions. Yeah. And, and the fact that they would put it out and be proud of it, it – You can, like, you can that's get not, it on
2: Blu-ray now, which is amazing yeah, to me. Yeah.
0: That's not <laughs> – that's a level of delusion that is <laughs> – you know, kind of disturbing. And I don't know, it's an interesting comparison to Edward, I think, because I think yeah. he's a com- kind of such a different character than that.
1: I, um, I don't know that he is. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I, I, I don't know. I, I think they're both, you know, directors of ill repute who have, who are weirdos, but it's like with Tim Burton, you felt like, you know, Tim Burton's always made movies about lovable weirdos and them being a weirdo didn't other them right. to us. It, it endeared them to us. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know, man, watching this, it, and like some I've had criticism from people that are like, well, of course, if you watch it in the room with Tommy Wiseau, you're going to not have a good time. And I'm like, look, everybody else. Like, I'm one of like three negative reviews. Like everybody else <laughs> uh, didn't have a problem with of those Rotten Tomato themselves.
2: reviewers. <laughs> you know what?
1: I know that because someone emailed me about it and they were like, well, just so you know, oh, you're only one of three people that didn't like it. And I was like, cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that, that really right. I changed my opinion. mind. <laughs> like. You know, I mean, like, yeah, it was uncomfortable because even coming out of it afterwards, everybody else thought it was great and was super excited. Oh, this was another uncomfortable thing just to pile on mm-hmm. to the weirdness of that night. Um, after the disaster artists, they all went on stage. Tommy wasn't didn't say anything. I don't I shouldn't say wasn't allowed necessarily, but no one gave him a microphone. It was just James Franco talking for a while and Tommy was standing there. And then afterwards, they're like, now we're showing the room. But it was like two in the morning. So oh, like, that's the Tommy, wrong
0: order, by the way. Right?
1: also right so now everybody just starts leaving like people are pouring out of the theater and Tommy Wiseau is watching everybody leave the theater to watch his instead of watching his movie I like, just
0: hope the, that wasn't the first time he had seen the disaster artist like maybe they showed it to him before they made him sit with an audience I and
1: watch. Say it was but now I don't remember it's it like that was like whatever last April or something I don't know it, I just it was a very uncomfortable thing and honestly I don't I feel like I still would have felt this way if he weren't in the room, but him being in the room, I couldn't escape the thought of, like, this is a real person. This isn't just, like, some goofy comedy. Like, even Ed Wood, like, Ed Wood was dead at that point, so if mm. it had been disrespectful, at least right. he didn't need yeah. to know. But it's right. like, he's literally right here, and it's like, people are like, oh, ho, ho, what a funny accent he has. Like, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. Yeah, I it. Get it makes me uncomfortable. I, get sorry, it. I feel I, like I'm being like, how dare anyone like this? But it just, it it affected me very deeply watching this movie. No,
0: I I, I get it. I, I, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it more. I really want to see it. And I think Dave has seen it. So maybe we'll bring it up on a future episode as well. But it's so fascinating that, that reaction. Um, have you, Christy, have you seen uh, Best Worst Movie?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I brought that up. I taught a film criticism class to high school kids. And I brought up all these movies. I could not show them these movies because <laughs> it was for high school kids. But I brought that up. And yeah, Best Worst Movie is another example where it's interesting. because Right. They're dealing yeah. with like, and the director in that is not treated with a lot of respect. But also in that, I would argue, doesn't really deserve it. No, no. Just, well,
0: he's an active douchebag throughout that entire process. Right. He's but, also
1: yeah. like weirdly all about like the cash grab and just that whatever. Yeah. And you're just like, he's like, you're, he, they're like, but there aren't trolls in it. And he's like, so what? And like, you literally called the movie troll too. Like, what are you yeah. talking about? But I
0: I just if anyone listening has not seen Best Worst yeah. Movie, it's one of my favorite documentaries ever. It is It's
1: a stellar documentary. And amazing. made by someone who was in the original movie Troll too. Right. So like there's this real
2: mm-hmm.
1: It's like a real struggle with like when you're part of a bad movie, how do you deal? And I thought I like there's there's such interesting films to be made from it. I think that's kind of why the gloss of the disaster artist makes me so uncomfortable. And notice, well, notably at South by Southwest, it didn't have the studio had just dumped it. So it premiered with like nobody you know being like we're gonna open this later and it was oh, like a yeah. big discussion at the festival of like is anybody gonna ever see this movie and like you know when a24 picked it up i was like it's, it's a very a24 movie like i yeah. and i don't mean that as a diss a24 is like they will <laughs> take risks on weird things and they really know how to market stuff so people get excited like they've been screening it they've been screening the room to critics in case the critics don't know the room they're like mm-hmm. let's all go watch the room together we'll show you the disaster artist later <laughs> so like I admire what they're doing with it. I just, I don't know, man. Yeah, oh. yeah. Franco is Franco. Mm, I have, I have mixed feelings on James Franco. That Dave, Dave Franco, though, hundred percent on board. Dave. Dave Franco is great. Nerve <laughs> is on Amazon Prime. Check him out in that. He's hilarious <laughs> and sexy, and in his underwear, it's good times. <laughs>
0: Davindra, what else have you been watching? Uh,
2: (laughs) I've also binged through all of the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon. (gasps) And this is the new Amy Sherman Palladino show, uh, creator of uh, Gilmore Girls and Bunheads. And I'm a huge fan of her work. Uh, So I've been looking forward to this for a while. I love the pilot when it hit. Uh... This is uh, so I just want to say like the show worth watching. Just get, to go see it right now. Also something that I think is right up your alley, Jeff. It is yeah. about uh the like the early days of stand-up comedy in the late 1950s. Uh mm-hmm. but it stars a housewife who's kind of thrown off of her uh her really comfortable daily life into this world of stand-up comedy and uh she does really well at it. And I, it's just a really fascinating story. A very period New York story too. So if you like seeing that sort of thing, like 1950s New York, uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot of historical accuracy going on there. Uh, the real draw to this show, uh, show though, is uh, not only Amy Sherman uh, Palladino's writing. I think she's she's just great. Uh, but it's really Rachel Brosnahan, who's the star. And uh, she's been a couple of things. I think she was in uh, House of Cards. Um, she is astounding. She's just a force of nature. Um, she, like, once you see her in the pilot, you will just want to follow this woman anywhere and see mm-hmm. what crazy things she gets up to on stage. Uh, and I think she really sells the show. Uh, you know, overall this first season, there's a lot of good stuff. I think it's kind of hit or miss. Uh, there's one character in particular, like, uh, uh it kind of revolves around her husband and her relationship with her husband in a way. And mm-hmm. I think the husband is not great as a character, uh, the actor's fine, but uh, I think the paladinos in general, some of the <laughs> some of the men they throw towards their heroines aren't great. And I think this is one of the worst ones. He's just really dull and really boring, and he's, uh, especially like once you get to the end, he feels like a puddle of like, I don't know, failed masculinity in a way, which I think is part uh, of the point, but also just really boring. Like, just this really dull dude. Like, uh, mm-hmm. throughout the entire show, it's more like I I don't really care if these two are together or not because this woman is so amazing. She is so good. She doesn't, (laughs) like, he he doesn't deserve her in any way, and he never does anything to really justify why he would. Uh, So, you know, that's that. It's a really funny show. Uh, Being a Paladina show, I think uh, it shows a very white side of New York. So there is that. Uh, Mm. Gilmore Girls, in particular, I grew up in Connecticut, and Gilmore Girls is a very Connecticut show. Like, just really the cute, Really white suburbs of Connecticut, doesn't really show the cities that much. Even then, when they went to Hartford, Hartford was portrayed as like a rich, uh, a place for rich white people. Um, so it doesn't do a good job of portraying like the, uh, I don't know, the multiculturalism of early New York. Uh, and the show honestly goes, there are some sequences where it's like, uh, there's one point where she rips the microphone out of a black, you know, f- a female poet's hands. And I thought that was really, it just didn't look good because of mm-hmm. uh what the show was actually doing. Uh I think the optics of that weren't great. Uh but overall like the the show itself um, I think it's fantastic, mainly because of the leads and mainly because of that writing. And hopefully they can shape things up. They got a second season order. I'm hoping they can kind of tweak things and make things a little better uh, in season two. Uh, and it is nice to see the Paladins working in uh, R-rated territory. You know, they, they can say fuck now. They can show nudity. So it feels like their creativity is kind of unleashed in a certain way.
0: So again, that's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's on Amazon.
2: It's on Amazon. Check that out. And anything else, uh, One, one quick thing I want to mention: the Villainous, which is an action movie. It's a Korean action Ooh. movie directed by Byung Gil Jung, and it is. It's sort of like Kill Bill meets Lefem Nikita. I think that's like one of the review taglines I've seen for it. Uh, it's about an assassin. It's about an assassin who ends up working for you know maybe the good guys as as another assassin um what's really interesting about this film is just the way they shoot the action this film has some of the craziest action sequences i've ever seen it opens up with this crazy first person uh mm-hmm. kill fest which feels like uh what was it uh, hardcore henry it is yeah it feels even more hardcore than hardcore henry but the entire movie isn't first person it kind of switches between views Uh, It does cool things with, like, digital filmography, Um, just like they use digital in ways. There's a sword fight on motorcycles, which looks like they're going high speed, but they definitely didn't film at high speed, but it just looks cool. Um, I think this movie is definitely worth watching just for the action alone. Uh, The other half of the movie feels like a, you know, Korean melodrama, which doesn't work at all, and the writing is not great. Uh, So, you know, it's a movie I kind of half love and half could take our leave um but you know uh who knows maybe this is something we'll all be seeing later this year or next year
1: that's it's interesting the... i saw it at a festival uh, and like I now that you mentioned the action scenes i'm like oh yeah no they were really good but it's really like all good. the drama stuff that really stuck with me that you were talking about i was like oh man i remember this one it's, scene, t- it was t- super it's two upsetting.
2: hours and 10 minutes long and yeah. it, it should be like a 90 minute movie
0: basically
1: yeah that's <laughs> fair
0: So it's called The Villainous. Yes. And you saw it in theaters?
2: That is on iTunes and Video On Demand right now. So just go check that out.
0: All right. I have been watching uh, the new documentary on Netflix called Jim and Andy, the Great Beyond. This is the documentary about the making of Man on the Moon, the 1999 biopic uh, about Andy Kaufman, starring Jim Carrey, and uh, directed by Milos Foreman, And – This documentary uh, goes behind the scenes as to the making of that uh, biopic, which was anything but normal (laughs) because Jim Carrey decided to go full method uh, on this movie and stay in character as Andy Kaufman throughout the filming of the film, which would be one thing if you're like a, you know, if you're like a Daniel Day-Lewis type. Uh, staying in character but the problem is gandy kaufman uh likes to fuck with people and uh so if he's staying in characters, Andy kaufman he did a lot it's basic this documentary is basically the story of a bunch of crew on a movie who got put through hell because of one actor's method <laughs> Because of Jim um, yeah. yeah but i will say uh, that's the, sort of my snarky description but and, and is not inaccurate but This documentary is actually really good and really fascinating and it it is good and fascinating mostly because it is as much about Jim Carrey, the man today, as it is about this process that he went through then. And I think if this, he, he had a person follow him around behind the scenes and shoot a bunch of footage and it was a documentarian that actually was friends with, it was a former, um, a mate, former partner of Andy Kaufman, who actually filmed him behind the scenes, so he, there's tons of footage here. They must have gone through hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage to get mm-hmm. what's – So it's very uh, revealing. It's very, it's very all access. All of that just technically is is fascinating to watch. But I think that if all of this stuff had come out, you know, in 1999 or 2000 or right around the time that this movie. Was actually released. It would not be nearly as interesting as it is coming out. What eight years later, seven years later? Right.
1: Um, uh, like because- I, that's what I'm confused by. Why is it now?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, they don't explicitly explain why that is, but I think there was there, there is some mention of the fact that uh, he was a terror on set to all these people and the studio decided they did not want to tarnish the reputation of their star actor <laughs> and sort of repressed all of this information. There's a, a, I don't know if you guys remember at the time there was even a big news story because he sort of recreated this moment with, um, um, Jerry, the King Lawler and the, the wrestling stuff that Andy Kaufman did in his life. And they, they like, he actually provoked Lawler and actually got <laughs> injured or, faked getting injured and mm-hmm. so there was like this meta thing going on and it actually hit the news and mm-hmm. so there was a lot of tumult around the, the production of this movie and the whole, whole time milos foreman is like oh uh, andy cuz he had the he re- insists people refer to him as andy and not jim oh uh, andy please please i just need to make the movie please just let me make the movie andy please the whole time and it is it i mean it's you just see a broken you know, auteur Academy Award winning <laughs> filmmaker just <laughs> crushed by one man's narcissistic process. Oh,
2: yeah. I wonder but, if he just waited for Jim Carrey to like, uh, you know, burn his own reputation down a little. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well,
0: well, I, what I will say the the, the hindsight on display mm-hmm. in this movie is fascinating, and so much of it is an interview with uh, Jim Carrey that happened recently, and. He is, I think, one of the most fascinating figures in entertainment uh, because he is this case study of what happens when a human being gets exactly their Mm -hmm. dreams, Mm -hmm. the exact dreams he wanted. He hoped would come true happened and it fucked him up, you know, like (laughs) when you get. The I mean literally down to word for word what you've always wanted and you're still unhappy, then mm-hmm. it's like oh, what now?
2: Yeah, then you, you start know? to forget vaccines work.
0: So <laughs> right,
1: really. No, I mean he he <laughs> has a lot funny. of. There was um, like one of the girly c- accounts I follow on Instagram. Mm. It's actually for crafts. Like one of their Monday motivations was like, hey, remember the nomad? You can do all the right things and things can still not work out. Hashtag Monday motivation. I was like, what? That's not. <laughs> Why try it all? Life Hashtag is Monday... <laughs> Right. On a long left timeline, nothing matters. Have a good one. Like yeah. Jesus.
0: Yeah. No, Sorry. but I mean, that's that's where we get in this in this documentary. Jim Carrey is like, nothing is real. I'm literally inside the Truman Show. That movie was oh a documentary God. about my life. Yeah. There, there. I've manifested all of this. You aren't you. I'm not me. None of this matters. But it, but it's not cynical. It like it's yeah. It's actually oddly inspiring and fascinating to watch. And I yeah. just found it all so interesting.
1: Now I want you to go watch Earth Girls Are Easy with this insight <laughs> into Jim Carrey. Right. It's also on Amazon Prime.
0: <laughs> I watched it. Earth Girls Was Easy when it came out, uh, and and not. Since, I wrote about it so. recently.
1: It's still so good. It's insane. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I mean, I I really recommend uh, Jim and Andy the Great Beyond. It, it, it's I couldn't take my eyes off it. You seeing him work like from a purely like a, from a pure stamina level, mm-hmm. the amount of energy it took for him to. I, I, I've done some acting, right? I, I'm sure a lot of us have a sense of how tiring and how long the days are when you do something like that. When you're on set and you need and you do take after take after take. Imagine you're done, but you're not done. You're still right. doing crazy shit, running around like a maniac shit. and t- terrorizing people. Like the amount of just pure energy it needed for him mm-hmm. for months of his life to do that. It's. Do it's, you admire that? Part of me is in awe of it, but I I also feel like it is the most self indulgent, right. uh, selfish thing you could do. Like, I don't. I think this documentary is better than the Man on the Moon. I mm-hmm. I, I, I was I remember at the time being so excited about this project and then seeing. Oh, that they made a th-
1: big deal about it. I remember feeling like, oh, this is gonna this is gonna be a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like you were watching cinematic history because everybody talked about it and it was just, you know.
0: Yeah, I all of just, a sudden,
1: I was supposed
0: to care. I, I was disappointed by that movie at the time. I, I really yeah. didn't think it, it it landed the way I was hoping it would. But the process of making it is far more interesting. And and I think his impression is incredible. His commitment to the character is incredible. It's just in service of a movie that I don't think lived up to its potential. So I can't say, oh, my God, all of this was worth it in the same way that I feel like a Daniel Day-Lewis crazy pants uh level of commitment tends to be worth it you know it's interesting you bring
1: that up there's this story that i've heard is apocryphal but from marathon man stop me well i guess don't stop me because i'm I'm going to assume that story yeah right so uh in marathon man you have dustin hoffman american method actor and laurence olivier a british actor who doesn't do that method stuff and there's the one scene where olivier is torturing dustin hoffman and as the story goes Hoffman stayed up for days on end and he got super caffeinated and he basically purposely kind of fucked up his body in any way he could think so that he would be like really raw for this torture scene. And uh, apparently Olivier heard about it. And as the story goes, and I, like I said, I've heard it's apocryphal, but it's still Mm -hmm. a really good story. uh, Olivier was like, you ever just thought about acting?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Have you tried acting? Have you
1: tracked? That's right. Have you tried acting my dear boy? So like, the thing is, it's like you hear these, right yeah. and it's like i don't care if it's true because it speaks so mm-hmm. much to this this thing that i think is specifically in hollywood that we promote the oscars every year is that like to act is to be tormented and to take it beyond the bounds of just acting like you know like the year when the revenant came out and everybody kept talking about, oh did you hear that leo ate bison I'm like i don't give a shit <laughs> like what does that have to do with the movie like i i don't know i get really yeah. concerned whenever we we hold up actors for doing these things that are ultimately abusive i mean like I've, I've written about this before with like jared leto and even hoffman like hoffman mm-hmm. was a monster to meryl streep when they shot kramer versus kramer um like you read about some of that stuff I, vanity fair has some stuff on it horrendous but it's like where where do we draw the line it's like we allow these things because oh the art or whatever but it's like is it even worth it like you heard about all the shit that jared leto pulled on the suicide squad people yeah. and then you watch that movie and you're like really Really? You yeah, were sending people like animal carcasses and used condoms and bullets and this is what you did.
2: Yeah, you know, all these right. stories just remind me of the other story of Tommy Lee Jones and like uh, was it Batman Forever or Batman Beyond? Or no, mm-hmm. sorry, Batman and Robin.
1: Forever. Yeah, I think it was
2: Forever, wasn't it? Forever. I think about Jim Carrey and like they were right. uh, they what ran into each other at dinner one night. I don't, yeah. And Yeah, he Tommy, tells
0: that in this documentary.
2: Yeah, that's a great well, story. If Tommy Lee Jones is basically saying, I cannot stand your buffoonery yeah why he hates him so much and that you know i can't blame him if i had to work right. with this dude yeah just shut up just because do it's your like job.
1: everybody wants to talk about all the things that happen behind the scenes like if it doesn't show up on the screen why are we acting like that's a positive thing <laughs> you know but what i mean it's what's it on does
0: show up on the screen but in sometimes. this
1: instant you said it didn't you said that I you agree. found this mm-hmm. movie disappointing and like well, you know, we got that's...
0: this we got this cool documentary out of it
1: <laughs> that's true that's a fair point. It's sort of like the room me...
2: as well, right? We uh, right. the best thing that we got from the room, I think, is probably the disaster artist It's <laughs> just like this story of failed creativity.
0: Uh, b- oh. uh, by the way, Christy, I am totally on your on your team on this one. I I find it fascinating to watch, and I I think it's interesting how far some creative types go to try to capture something, and specifically in the case of Daniel Day Lewis, like I can't argue with success, the way he goes about mm-hmm. it, but I as somebody that builds things and and makes things and and is involved in creative endeavors, I could would not be able to stand that kind of before right. well, <laughs> right. I
1: think it's also just like there's there's a line where it's like if you're doing something like the Hoffman story about he was driving himself nuts or whatever like and I mean teach his own, I guess. Mm-hmm. I take issue when you start affecting the people around you and acting like, well, like this is art so you should just get over it like. Film is a collaborative medium, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I think we some tend people to just... are completely capable of acting or directing or writing mm-hmm. and not being an asshole to everybody.
2: We herald genius in a, it, we, I think we cherish it too much when it comes to art. Yeah, and it's not just film; like uh, any type of artist, we kind of excuse bad behavior and them being assholes because of the art so good. And yeah, that is that is sort of garbage.
0: Well, the you know specifically the the uh, Olivier thing, I I mean we. I heard that story about a million times mm-hmm. in acting school, and we would always hold it up as a difference between a stage actor and a film actor, right? Because a right. film actor creates a situation that you only have to capture one time, and a stage actor has to be able to get to that place night after night after night for hundreds of performances. So mm-hmm. you, you can't just stay up 48 hours because your character stayed up 48 hours. Right. You have to find it some other way. You have to create the illusion of that, and that's the job, Right. Right and with film acting, there's this weird self indulgent thing where it's like, as long as we get it once, I can do. We can surprise the actors. <laughs> we can, you know, right. mess with them in weird ways. And if you capture it, and those are two approaches, right to to art. And I think it's a longer discussion to debate them. But mm-hmm. I've always been on the I've always been on the stage actor side for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of on the side of like, you know, there are plenty of actors out there who seem to be lovely people and also do a hell of a job. Like yes. I don't know. I just get very, I get, I get very anxious about the idea of romanticizing. Oh yes. You know, I difficult yeah. I'm much,
0: artists. much happier romanticizing uh, stories. You hear about Tom Hanks, for example, where he's like telling a joke. And then they say action. And he's like, I'm crying and saddest guy. ever. <laughs> right. it's like, how does he do that? That's, that's right. more impressive to me of like, I'm cool. I'm hanging out with everybody. I'm being the life of the party. I'm being really a nice gentleman to hang out with. And then when they say action, I can do the thing that I needed because I'm a craftsman as well.
1: Right, yeah. yeah. All right. So
0: yeah. Well, uh, let's move on now. <laughs> now and... that I've
1: lectured everyone about acting, that's <laughs> <No>, great. <laughs> uh,
0: you know what is also uh, a bad thing to put people through? Uh, getting hangry, right? Mm. You get <laughs> yes, ornery when you're malnourished and you're not eating, especially when you're not eating. Let's say, oh, I don't know, fresh foods. But guess what, guys? Are Sponsor for this episode, HelloFresh has got your back. HelloFresh is a food delivery service uh, of the highest quality. They give you uh, uh, recipes that you cook yourself and the freshest ingredients that you include in those recipes. And, Christy, I know that you are a HelloFresh subscriber. You enjoy – I'm
1: addicted. I'm addicted to HelloFresh. I love it. Why do you like – Like, I know it sounds (laughs) – (laughs) No, like, I legit love it. I've been recommending it to friends because, like, I like to cook, but, you know, life is busy and whatever, and sometimes when I go to the grocery store, I just get the basics, and then I end up cooking the same thing over and over again, and it gets kind of tedious, and it's not as fun. But with HelloFresh, like, they send you the stuff. It's super easy. It's everything you need to make the recipes. The recipes are really easy to follow, any idiot can do it like if i can figure it out you're going to be fine and like it's cool cuz there's such a there's such a mix up and it's like you know every week there's something different and like i haven't repeated any meals we've done fajitas i made bangers and mash this week which is exciting i've never done that before um they have I, like it the, the inspirations are all over the place the ingredients are all over the place but it's never super complicated So, like, I'm always excited to make dinner because, like, I like to cook and it's like, what's tonight's adventure? And, like, you know, there's enough variety that it's fun. And, yeah, I, like, I, you can look at my Instagram. I'm obsessed with HelloFresh.
0: I love it. I know. We've been talking about it on the show. It's so cool to have somebody else come on and talk about it from personal experience, too. It's convenient. It's fun. It it really has made cooking fun, which I never thought was possible because I always, (laughs) I always loathed the idea of it. But now I look forward to it. I've, like. I think I feel like I've I've gained skills, like I know how to chop things and do things because I'm doing it. And these mm-hmm. easy to follow recipes make it so, so convenient and fun. And guess what, guys? We are gonna hook you up with $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. All you gotta do is go to HelloFresh.com. That's H-E-L-L-O-F-R-E-S-H dot com. Enter the promo code FilmCast30, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T 30, all one word. And you get $30 off your first week. It's great. Understand what Christy is talking about. Fall in love with cooking. Fall in love with treating yourself better and eating more healthily. HelloFresh.com, promo code FilmCast30. Remember, you can always email into the show at slash FilmCast at gmail.com. We love hearing your feedback and any questions that you may have for us. We also love your support. Uh, we have a new subscriber this week at the rate of $2 per month. That's uh, James Walker. Thank you very much for your ongoing support of the show. If you want to support the show, uh, Devinder, how do they do that?
2: Uh, actually, just look at the bottom of any of our post pages at slash film.com. Uh, you could just find the donate links
0: right there. So easy. And we really appreciate it. It always helps us offset the costs of uh, seeing films and doing the show and, and, Living our lives, which is not an inexpensive thing for, for us as well. <laughs> so let's talk about some quick uh, film news. Uh, we'll start, I think, we'll start with the bad, and then end with the good. <laughs> um, and the never-ending parade of of who's awful next. It turns out, uh, surprising no one, that it sounds like uh, Brian Singer is is awful. We have heard a lot about Brian Singer, and in fact, I think there's a documentary about him being awful if I'm not mistaken.
1: Oh, I've heard about this.
0: Uh Yeah. So uh, it's shocking to me that in the uh, endless stream of people that I once respected, uh, realizing that they are just terrible human beings. uh, We have not heard about Bryan Singer because I thought he would be one of the first dominoes to fall in this post Weinstein Mm -hmm. era. Uh, Instead, what we're getting is a news report that the set of his new movie, which is a biopic about um, uh, the, the band Queen, yeah, yeah. Uh, that he has been fired from that film as director, and uh, he did not show up for days at a time. Uh, of course, this movie was was starring uh, Rami Malek from uh, Mr. Robot as Freddie Mercury, which I think is inspired is casting. Perfect. Yeah. So
1: perfect. Can yeah. He sing?
2: I don't know.
0: Does
1: but, it matter. He looks the part. The, look. photo the, look. uh, the photo they released yeah. is amazing. The photo they released is amazing. I, I just, <laughs> they released that photo and I was like, cool. I remember yeah. when Sasha Baron Cohen was attached and that sounded weird but he can sing and we, we know cool. that.
2: I, I Honestly, I also don't care Hollywood movies. Like, if people actually do the singing, I know it's a thing that we've gotten <laughs> used to, especially after Walk the Line, but, you know, I grew up watching Bollywood movies and, like, that that's all about overdubbing sure. the singing. It, if it works. It, At it, overdubbing, if it's,
1: better. it's Fine, yeah. but also, I don't know, man. It's Freddie Mercury. This movie's made me nervous from the moment they announced it.
2: Oh, yeah, most definitely.
1: Yeah. Like, I don't know, especially because, like, there have been rumors for forever that, like, the reason Sasha Baron Cohen backed out was because they didn't want to get into, like, the nitty gritty stuff of Freddie Mercury's life because mm-hmm. Brian May is, like, all about keeping this, like, Queen focus and not about Freddie. And it's like, Brian May, you are literally the only other member of Queen that people can bring yeah. up. Like, nobody <laughs> else knows. But, I mean, seriously, and, like, I grew up listening to Queen. And I love Queen, but, like, Freddie Mercury is the show. Mm -hmm. and like because you have the tragic ending like you can't like i don't know i i heard that there was like one version of the script that ends before he even like starts deteriorating because of aids and it's not that i want the movie to end that way but that is a weird like what are you going to do in a title card like oh yeah by the way and then Freddie did this but whatever right Right. so i don't know this has made me nervous for ages there was like one point where they said tom uh tom hooper was supposed to direct it which oh god Ugh. oh that would have been so bad dutch angles and no flavor oh i can't even <laughs>
0: <laughs> but well like, it sounds it sounds like this whole scene has been pretty bad he didn't show right. up for days at a time uh, cinematographer thomas newton siegel had to direct portions of the movie tom hollander who played queen manager jim beach actually quit the movie because of singer's behavior so uh it sounds like he's in a bad way um
1: it also I'm said wondering... that him and Rami got into a screaming match, which is I cannot yeah. imagine Rami Malik screaming at anybody. Yep.
2: Yeah, Brian Singer threw something at him. Too? Yeah, like, I I, w- I wish somebody has cell phone footage of that. How does that not, it like it yeah. like that not give it a day? I feel like somebody already...
1: has to have. Mm-hmm. Somebody saw something. Um, yeah. It's so insane. what do you guys
0: think of this it, you know uh, is this movie gonna get salvaged is there somebody you would love to see step in and well, i, I mean really... is ron howard available to uh... i
2: mean other than uh, you know john cameron mitchell who would be <laughs> yeah oh my god yes. uh,
1: yeah yeah um, i mean other than be...
2: that i don't know what else can be done with this thing
1: i had heard they're only really two weeks away from finishing right is that wrong
0: oh, okay uh, i heard it's like nearly that... done Oh, yeah, there's about two more weeks of filming scheduled, Mm -hmm. but a replacement director has not been announced.
1: Yeah, I have a feeling that the replacement director is not going to be anybody that we're all like that we've necessarily heard of. It'll probably be a TV director that they're giving like, hey, you do us this one favor. Just bring this into the station. (laughs) Finish this thing. Right. And then like, we'll we'll give you something good later. And like, honestly, at this point, you need a TV director. You need somebody that can come in and like piece together disparate Mm -hmm. elements. You know, you need somebody that can like find the way or whatever yeah this is weird but i mean like i've heard that like singers there's been reputations about or rumors about him for years being fitful on sets
0: yep. well this is the not the thing i thought was going to be what we hear about mm-hmm. brian singer i mean I, there's been all these rumors about how and this documentary about how sexually uh inappropriate he is and how he you know underage boys and all this stuff that that you feel like in this environment would have come out i Obviously, I don't have any proof of that. I probably shouldn't be slanderous, but it's um, it's not the thing I expected to hear about, about
1: Right. Browsing. When you hear that he got kicked off this movie, this is not what you expected to hear. Right. Why. Right. right. Yes.
0: Anyway, uh, we'll move on from that. It's just an interesting thing to note. I'm I'm hopeful that this project uh, comes together because I, I think I... A this Bohemian Rhapsody project, I think it would be fascinating to see a, a biopic about Queen. So I'm hoping it I, comes out. Yeah,
2: and also with Rami as a star too. Like yeah. I, d- I do want to see this. I want, I yeah. hope, I want it to like come out. And I, I want Rami to be a bigger star. Although Mr. Robot has done really, you know, it's done a lot for him in his career. So I'm, I'm down with that. And on, you know, on another note, I just hope Brian Singer you know, gets it together, and we'll see what happens with all those allegations too.
0: Yeah. Um, I, yeah, we're really uh, seeing a, a strange moment in Hollywood, and, and hopefully a lot of this crazy behavior from all sides is uh, going away slowly. Uh, on a more positive note, at least from my perspective, I'm curious what you guys think, uh, we get a, an interesting news bit that Quentin Tarantino, of all people, pitched a Star Trek film to Paramount – and J.J. Abrams liked it so much that it may end up being the next Star Trek film. I guess they've assembled a team of writers to run with this idea. And They're so desperate. Yeah, yeah and uh, if it, it comes together, Tarantino may potentially direct it. Uh, Christy, what do you think about a Tarantino-helmed Star Trek film?
1: No, thank you, please. <laughs> i like tarantino i just none of that makes any goddamn sense to me i i I just i don't know he's not that guy he i don't know i don't know i I
0: feel like he could be that guy he's you know just because he has a very specific you know um oeuvre it doesn't necessarily mean he can't step out of that and do interesting things zero
1: evidence he can step out of his oeuvre (laughs) I mean, that's all I'm saying. Like, we really have it. I don't know that it would be bad. I literally cannot picture it. And it just seems, I don't know, there's something inherently winking about everything Tarantino does, which is fine, because what he's doing is always a commentary on other genres. I don't want to see a winking Star Trek movie.
2: I think that's sort of what the reboots ended up being too. Like they're, yeah. they're a little winky in a way as they reboot Star Trek as more action. I mean, I would franchise. say
1: they're like playful, but I don't feel like yeah. I don't know. There's always a level of almost mockery in what what Tarantino yeah. does. That's always kind of being I like, I yeah. know the genre convention, and like, haha. And I I don't know, man. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I, don't, I well, one thing we haven't seen him do sci-fi yet, and I would love to see that. Uh, but yeah, you know, th- it's a sort of thing where I'd rather he stick with the original stuff uh he hasn't really played with a franchise before right he did jackie <laughs> brown um which is you know based off of uh the elmore leonard books right uh but it's not like that's a character like he apparently hated doing that he hated working on something that wasn't his own material first of all i don't think this will ever happen with him directing it <laughs> i agree I, I think do if, like it, the if idea. it happens
0: it'll probably mm-hmm. be the, his idea done by other yes. people yeah
2: I do like the idea that Quentin Tarantino could just, like, have lunch with somebody and scribble something in a napkin and J.J. Abrams will run back to the scene and be like, guys, I got it. Next movie.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, supposedly uh, the rumor was that the next Star Trek film was going to be a time travel movie where Kirk gets to go back and hang out with his dad, played by Chris Hemsworth. So at least we're not getting that movie. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. I am all on board for more Chris Hemsworth in this movie.
0: Oh, he's dead.
1: No, not in we'll there's, there's time
0: travel and
2: like yeah, world, uh, world, uh, dimension hopping in this Star Trek universe, right? So, yeah.
0: Anyway, I, uh, I'm. I think the thing that makes me excited about this and and feels like it's a cool thing is that. Tarantino is so savvy like the kind of the thing you don't like about this idea, Christie, is that he is he's so well versed in the conventions of of these genre type movies. And like you said, da Vinci, he's never done sci fi. And I'd love to see how he how he does it mm-hmm. in a way that nobody else has quite thought of before. And I, I think that could be cool, like bending it on his head. I know for years and years he talked about wanting to do a James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is a little more in his wheelhouse what with the the level of violence you might find in a Bond movie. Um, but I, I don't know. I'd love to see what a Tarantino... I love the idea of putting a director that just doesn't work in this genre at all in this yeah. genre and yeah. seeing how it comes out. I think that's an interesting thing.
1: It could be. It could be. Money. I just, I don't know. I can't mm. even picture it it makes me anxious.
2: <laughs> I wonder how much money Disney is just kind of like throwing at him uh, for like, hey... Star Wars.
1: Yeah, how, how you doing? Yeah,
2: how, what's well, going he, on over there?
0: He's on the record, evidently, as saying he'd rather do a Star Trek movie than a Star yes, Wars yes, movie. Yes. So, yeah. Um, and we know that his his uh, I said Marilyn Manson, his Charles Manson <laughs> or Manson family it's not necessarily about Charles Manson, but the sort of mm-hmm. set in the Manson family era film, which is his next movie, isn't coming out till 2019 at the earliest, anyway. So, this wouldn't that be happening is very anytime him. soon.
2: That is a very specific thing for him to do. So, yeah. I'm excited about that project. Uh but yeah.
0: Mm. All right, well, uh that is the news. Uh let's get now to our featured review of Lady Bird.
1: I hate California. I want to go to the East Coast.
0: I wanna go where culture is, well, like how New in the York, world. Did I or at small. least Connecticut or New Hampshire, sure where writers live in get the world. Get woods. into those schools anyway. Mom. You should just go to city college. You know, with your work ethic, just go to city college and then to jail, and then back to city college, and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything.
1: Ah! Lady Bird, is that your given name? Yeah. Why is it in quotes? I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me.
0: Lady Bird always says that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks, but I always thought that that was like a metaphor. But there are actual train tracks. That is from the trailer of Lady Bird, and I will read the description on IMDb. It says simply, In the early 2000s, an artistically inclined 17-year-old comes of age in Sacramento, California. Wow, vague as not vague much can be. to that description. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not inaccurate, but also yeah, fairly it's fine. Vague. Uh this uh, right written and directed by Greta Gerwig. Um I have often said and I think is, is is not an uncommon point of view that in art, uh the more specific something is, the more universal it feels. And I wonder uh Christy if you felt any um any sense of, of a, a, if, if you related to Lady Bird in any way uh, as somebody, you know, I don't uh, think. You,
1: well, you, so, um, I What is your a,
0: relationship with your, with your mother right, is what I want Right, to say. no, yeah, no,
1: I got where you're going. <laughs> um, no, it's actually funny. So a <laughs> little bit about me, uh, I was in high school in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I went to a Catholic high school where I was oh, wow. kind of an outsider and a weirdo. <laughs> I fought with my mom a lot, and some of those fights went on in thrift stores. Uh, I <laughs> dated theater boys, like, uh, I dated boys in bands. This movie felt a little bit like Greta Gerwig would rob my life and it was a little intimidating. <laughs> it was a little killing me softly, softly with her song. It was actually like funny because I was watching this movie and at the point I saw it everybody was already singing its praises and it felt like weird because it did feel it was like I was like oh you guys like my story. And it's mine's not the same <laughs> but it's it was funny it was very exciting to hear other people who like were not me be excited about this movie because it felt so personal to me. Um, but I think it's, I think it's because she nails all these little elements that it doesn't really matter if you didn't go to Catholic school, that it doesn't really matter if you weren't really into crash by Dave Matthews band. Like <laughs> these moments are so specific that they tap into us and like, you don't necessarily need to have the, have all that direct stuff. But yeah, it, for me, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which because the synopsis is so vague, it's about a girl who prefers to be called L- lady bird. I forget what is her, her real name is like Christine christine
2: yeah, christine.
1: yeah. so also Same. that my name is legit just christy it's not like short for christine or something
2: oh wow yeah it's
1: a lot and also What's I wanted to dye my hair pink desperately but wasn't allowed because my school that was against the the dress code <laughs> uh though i never you know christy of
2: you may want to check your room and see if Greta Gerwig just has like a
1: you know what i'm saying like it was a little like yeah. i'm uncomfortable by this um <laughs> no but so yeah i there's a scene where it's about her growing up and lady bird Trying to figure out what she's good at and trying to figure out who she wants to be. And she feels like she's constantly disappointing her mom. And to be fair, it seems like she is constantly disappointing her mom. Sure, yeah. And I very much remember those conversations when I was that age where um, it's funny because I've seen people be like, take your mom to see this and then apologize to her for being a teenager. Um, I did that after Brave. So, like, I'm good but (laughs) no for real though because there were there were points you can never
0: apologize too much christy uh,
1: yeah no i was awful um no but 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 it's like a hard thing where when you hit that age your parents want to prepare you for the world and they also want to try to protect you and like i remember some of the conversations i had with my mom that were so hard at the time and in retrospect it was like it was her trying to protect me but we were coming at the world from very different perspectives. And so we just never, we were just always going to be at loggerheads in these moments. And it's not that one of us was right and one of us that was wrong. It's just that mm-hmm. there there isn't a right and wrong to some of these things. And I thought the movie makes that point so elegantly. There's a point where someone calls one of the ca- characters, or he's like, your mom is scary, but warm. And she's like, you can't be scary, but warm. And he goes, well, you can be, your mom is. Yeah. And I think they both are. And I think it's just, you know, it, it speaks to a mother daughter relationship in this way that is, is so frustrating because like, of course you love each other. And of course you want, you want to be close, but at the same time, like you just don't see the same things in each other or for yourself. And it's such a frustrating moment. And I think that the story manages to tell this kind of year of Lady Bird's life in a way that feels really organic and doesn't feel like, I don't know, like reading a YA novel where there's like, and mm-hmm. this is a chapter and this is a chapter, like there's a beautiful flow to it. That's so familiar that it's just like it does. It feels like some like it feels like someone's reading your diary, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or maybe just me. But um, <laughs> but what I was saying, the scene there's a scene in a thrift store that's in the trailer where they're yelling at each other, and then they find, she's like, "What about this dress?" And she's like, "Isn't it perfect?" And they completely stop short to like talk about a dress. Yeah. And to me, that speaks about like they're just the routine if you're so used to fighting with your mom that you will go back to this argument 10 minutes from now but like right now let's focus on this thrift store dress like i i just think it's incredible because like people are calling this a directorial debut which is not fair because greta gerwig co-directed um a movie oh god what was it called um it was she could, she could? with joe swanberg nights and weekends from 2008 uh-huh. right and, uh, you know, so this isn't technically a directorial debut, but I think it, you've seen, we've seen her screenwriting, the stuff she's done with Noah Baumbach, and we've kind of seen this maturity of her figuring out what her voice as a creator is as opposed to mm-hmm. just an actor, which I'm not Andrew, trying to she downplay. She said action.
2: that she felt like she also co directed, what was it, Frances Howe?
1: Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. And I, and I think IMDb that makes lists sense.
0: only Nights and Weekends and Lady Bird, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there's just, there's such an elegance to this movie and, and like, in the way it doesn't sugarcoat being a teen girl, because Lady Bird's kind of an asshole.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like oh, I like totally that. Yeah. yeah, which every <laughs> teenager is
1: right. And like you know, <laughs> I think back on some of the shit I said, and you're just like, oh god, why, why? Because
2: yeah. hormones and right. our brains aren't fully formed. Yeah, right. right. And, this, and this
0: feeling of needing to be selfish for the first time and, and yeah. assert your your selfhood and your uh you know your autonomy and all that all those things it it is this perfect storm of just turning you into a douchebag
2: uh
0: regardless of yeah regardless of your gender it it happens to happens to all of us and uh it's an amazing thing i'm in that unique not unique i'm in that horrible moment where uh i am now relating more to her parents as characters than i am to her you know (laughs) Uh, as as a as a guy who has a one-year-old and has a one-year-old boy and my wife is pregnant with a daughter, I'm looking at this and going, I turned to my, wa- my wife and I saw this movie together and as we walked out, I was like, you're in charge of the girl. <laughs> 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 I'm screwed. Uh, Devendra, what what, did, what was your take on Lady Bird?
2: Oh, yeah, I talked about it. I think, was it last week or the week before? I love this film. Uh, I think Christy just hits all the right notes there. Uh, I do want to say, like, I, I feel like I connect with this movie so much more than her collaborations with Noah Baumbach. And there is always something about his films that feel distant mm-hmm. to me. And maybe it's just like, he typically tells the stories of like well-to-do families from New York or like, uh, you know, those sorts of areas. Right. And they always feel a little too intellectual, a little like, um, patrician, emotionally almost distant. Yeah. Patrician, emotionally distant at times. Uh, whereas this movie is full of heart like I just connect with it on every level. The characters are so well realized. Um, I love those moments where they switch between fighting and really connecting at the same time, because that sort of feels like the thing that you know I I have that with my parents too. Like I, I think a lot of that's the relationship for a lot of kids, especially mm-hmm. in their teenage years. Assuming you have like a you know a decent relationship with your parents to begin with, that's sort of like switching between fighting and truly connecting. Is kind of fascinating. I've never seen that uh, so fully well realized in a film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, all, all that's good. And also, Sersha Ronan, like, she is a treasure. Um, uh, check out her, uh, show, what she was on SNL this week. Yeah. She's amazing, even, even if the entire episode really wasn't. Uh, she's just so good. And I, I said that before. So excited for everything she does. I'm glad that she has a great starring role in something like this.
0: Yeah, I, I loved this movie too. It, it is it is really one of the best movies of the year. And I, you know what I said introing it, it is true. I think the specificity of this movie, even though I did not grow up as a girl, I did not. I did actually did go to a Catholic school, but only until fourth grade. Uh, but I I did not grow up in her circumstances whatsoever, mm-hmm. and yet so much of it feels so authentic and true and resonates with me in my own experiences as a, as a teenager and even, even more so, as I said, as, as her parents, like her dad in this movie, you know, as a guy who's going to be a father of a, of a daughter, Tracy Letts' performance is so beautiful and so warm and so simple. And there's so many wonderful little moments with him. We'll talk about some of those specifically in spoilers, but Uh, You know, I found myself relating to that and he's very much a side character in this movie, but there's, there's like something in here for every kind of experience. One of the things I love most about this movie is how it seems to effortlessly compress time and give you the most important feelings and moments. And it's almost like a slideshow of, of a year and how much it just doesn't explain and let be a, a backdrop of, of what's going on. And you, you are able to fill in the blanks. Like there's a, there's a scene very early on in the movie where we just cut to a, a dance and everybody's in Western costume. There's no explanation. <laughs> there was no like talking about going to a dance. There was no explanation of why it's a Western themed dance. We're just there for a moment to have this moment at a dance. And it's like, it. yeah, we don't need to know all that. The family itself has, some some characters in it that you wouldn't expect in that family but we don't need an explanation of how that happened or where they came mm-hmm. from or it's it's just how this is and and it's so beautifully shorthand in that way and i think that shorthand that abbreviation that compression of time makes it all the more effective and makes you feel like you're living this this vivid memory of your high school years—the things that stand out—you know—I I was reminded of *Boyhood*, um, uh, the movie from a couple of years ago. Uh, my mm-hmm. wife actually brought that up. She's like, it reminded me of *Boyhood*," and I was like, "Yeah, it's in the same way where it's like these moments that stick out that don't necessarily even feel essential to the central story that we're telling, but are because of the tapestry of emotions that it that it, they weave together and." I just, I loved it. All the performances are great. We haven't even mentioned Laurie Metcalf yet, who plays the mother. She's, I think, one of the great, greatest actresses in the world uh, and is just wonderful here, is, you know, is at at times horrible and endearing and sympathetic and awful and all those things that parents kind of have to be at times. Yeah, it's, it's a... beautiful it's about
1: that that time and I find that a lot of coming of age stories are ultimately about this it's about that time where you start to realize that your parents are people and yeah. that by extension that means they're flawed right. and like that sounds like such an obvious thing but I mean it's terrifying it's terrifying to realize that these people are like responsible for you and maybe they don't know everything and maybe they don't even know everything about you and like it's just that feeling is so terrifying and like for I I feel like this movie handles it so elegantly. Where Ladybird both wants to trust and depend on her mom, but she can't because she feels like her mom doesn't see her. And like mm-hmm. it, it's so hard because her mom sees things about Ladybird that Ladybird doesn't want to see about herself, but then she is missing things. And it's just like you just you want to like intervene for both of them. <laughs> But there's no, there's no simple answer. Like, you know, like, I mean, one of the big uh, arcs in the thing is that Ladybird wants to go away to college. I mean, that's even in the trailer. She's like, I want to go somewhere like a liberal arts school where there's culture, like New York or at least Connecticut or New Hampshire, where writers (laughs) live in the woods. And like, also, I went away to New York. And uh, (laughs) no, like, it's a lot. But like, and her mother wants her to stay closer to home. And that's both a financial thing, but also just that, like, she wants her daughter close to her. And like, it's just. You watch it, and God, man, it, it's interesting because there's so many filmmakers that don't know how to represent two points of view in a, in an equally interesting way. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that the writing in this is incredibly strong girl we presented, but also this cast is just, you know, like Laurie Metcalf is like everybody's mom. Like you watch her, and she's so familiar. Like it's it's just so intense. And there's like one scene that's so it's you don't need it within the plot of the film, but it's a scene where she's speaking to a teacher from Lady Bird's school. And it's just that this teacher is oh, having a yeah. tough time. And it's like, it's just, it's just yeah. a moment about like people. It, it's, yeah. there are just these like little stops in the movie that just allow you to be about a character for a second. And like, man, and, you know,
0: it, it, as much as it is, is about all the stuff we've mentioned before. It's also a movie about class.
1: And oh, absolutely. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. And, and there's so much, um, socioeconomic, uh, disparity between Lady Bird's family and the people that she goes to school with in, in Sacramento, in California, you know, it it felt very, it almost could have been in Orange County or, I mean, there's a lot of places in California that I'm familiar with that, that this movie could have been set in. Uh, and so much of that insecurity about income and where you live and the fact that they live literally on the other side of the tracks, Right. And, uh, you know, it is, it's a movie that sort of deftly d- discusses that as well. And that's, and that's always the sort of looming backdrop and explains so much of who Laurie Metcalf's character is and, and that perspective of those people that never feel quite good enough, uh, you know, in comparison to their daughter 's peers and peers' parents mm-hmm. you know it's 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 heartbreaking in that sense too and and to feel like even in the years since this movie was set that those things have even gotten more pronounced in our society that 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 gap has gotten even wider it's uh, it's It's powerful on a number of levels
2: yeah, I think that just the way this movie handles different perspectives really well. I think it's just a testament to how well-written it is too. Like not only do we see Lady Bird's perspective and her mother's and I love Laurie Metcalf's character. Like she, she really does have a big heart like her sister-in-law says, and that's upside of her that, you know, Lady Bird just can't see, you know, mm-hmm. she can't see how she helps with her uh, teacher or how she interacts with her colleagues and like genuinely cares about them and their kids and what's happening. Um, and at the same time, like I think this is a this is a like a conflict a lot of parents and kids have. The parents think like there is like a certain path to success, right maybe replicate what I did or do what I learned mm-hmm. uh based on my life experience and the kid just completely has a completely different idea in mind, and maybe they're more attuned to what's actually happening in the culture right as a millennial you know working on the internet, I have a hard time describing what I do to my parents sometimes. Um, and just even, you know, quitting a stable job and going to pursue something like writing about gadgets online, right? Very, (laughs) very weird and hard to explain. And, you know, it starts to worry your parents. So there's all that. But you you even see that in the class perspective too. Uh, you know, uh, we'll get to spoilers soon, but you know, we, we see the side of maybe even the richer side too. And, how they maybe by being so, you know, well provided for in this town, they're maybe less ambitious too, or less they see less of a desire to leave it as much as Ladybird does. So I don't know, I found that all really interesting.
1: Before we move into spoilers, uh, I also want to shout out that Beanie Feldstein is amazing in this. She plays uh Ladybird's best friend Julie. Yeah. And like it's easy to overlook her because she's funny or whatever, but like there's she's also such a good counterbalance to Ladybird because Mm -hmm. Ladybird wants to act like she's too cool for like emotions and that she's not gonna get upset about stuff or whatever, and she keeps trying to act like things don't bother her, but then she'll have like fits or whatever. But like Julie like feels everything and you just see it in like these big brown eyes that like Julie's so like Beanie just kills it. There's like one scene where they have a fight and it's so high school. Where, like, <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. so mad, like, uh, Lady Ladybird's so mad, and she's yelling at Julie. And, like, the thing she can think to say is, like, yeah, well, your mom's tits are fake, and everybody knows it. <laughs> and, and, like, Julie's so great because Julie goes, she was 19 and she made one bad decision. And she- And Lady Bird gets two bad decisions, and it's so petty. It has nothing to do with anything, and it's so like, (laughs) it's so not cool. It's totally that thing that they had a sleepover one night, and she was like, "BT Dubs, did your mom get a boob job?" (laughs) She (laughs) totally
2: did. Like you
1: know, it's like it's that transgression of like I'm mad at you, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna set fire to a loyalty between us. Right. And like it happens so quick, and it's just. It's just so familiar. It's, oh, God, it's so intense.
0: You're right. That, um, that relationship I just I, I just find them. this
1: movie to be... And what's exciting to me is just that, like, there's a lot of boys coming-of-age movies that tend to get critical cool acclaim. I remember boys are Kings of Summer and Boyhood, and you can go on and on and on. Stand By Me, there's tons of them. And we embrace these as universal movies. But this is the first time that, like, I can think of that a movie about a girl has gotten, like, this kind of attention, where this is the most like well-reviewed movie on Rotten Tomatoes, which means it has 100% and it has more reviews than any other movie that has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not to say that it's a flawless movie. I don't want to have this argument with people on Twitter anymore. But what it means is that like this is speaking to people in a way, and I think that it's because Greta Gerwig spent time acting and, and screenwriting and co-directing that she came to this place where she was able to communicate this idea of adolescence this idea of becoming a woman in a way that spoke to people kind of regardless of who they are or where they came from like she made it so specific and it's like honestly I feel like if you read the letter she wrote to musicians hoping to get the music she got you get why she she a hundred percent knew what this movie was she hundred percent knew how to achieve her vision and what she did it's like it's almost easy to take for granted because it feels so natural
0: yeah. I agree.
2: It's a really organic film, too. It does remind me of Edge of Seventeen from last year, which was also fantastic. But, yeah, didn't get as much, uh, I think, publicity as this one did. So also worth well, watching if you like Lady Bird.
0: All right, let's dig a little deeper now and go into spoilers for Lady Bird. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, guys. Um, I I just adore where this movie ends up. Um, my one of my favorite things about it is that I think a lot of movies in this genre set up the the thing that our character wants in this case she wants so badly to go away to school finally gets that acceptance letter and then we have that move that that moment that you see in so many movies where the plane takes off and she leaves home we've had that emotional moment with her parents as she as you know as her, as her mom makes that realization and tries to run back her mom doesn't see her there but the plane takes off and she's gone and most movies fade to black there Full of possibilities about this new chapter in her life. Right. But not Lady Bird. Lady Bird follows her to New York and, in fact, follows her through an episode that isn't particularly positive. Right. And I just <laughs> – It's your first college love <laughs> that. I love that we get that moment of, oh, mm-hmm. shit, things are messy here, too. And it wasn't just a salve to fix everything in my life. In fact, now I realize where I came from is important. It's such a wonderful denouement for the movie. I I I just I give it so much respect for giving that extra Mm -hmm. moment in our in in the the place of our dreams and having the place of our dreams being complicated and messy and hard, you know. Right.
1: But also notably the key thing is that after she goes through that, she calls her mom. Yeah. And they get to have that moment of like, you know, they they like she didn't make the choices she wanted her mom wanted her to make. But that doesn't change who they are to each other. Right. And like, you know, I thought that was really beautiful. I thought the element about the letters was really beautiful. Uh,
0: Mm -hmm. destroyed, Um, Destroyed me. I was a blubbering mess at the end of this movie.
1: Yeah, I, I was honestly for a lot of this movie, I was just sitting with my jaw like my mouth open, like jaw a, a strike. So it's just like I mean, like I keep joking about how this was so much like my childhood, and I don't want people to get uh, misdirected, so that's why I liked it. But I think it's more just that I think that she manages to find all these beautiful moments. Like I particularly really like the moment about Dave Matthews crash, where mm-hmm. she's in a car with the cool kids, and they think it's lame, and they you know they're like oh i hate this song and just that she stands up for herself and says that she likes that song and you know what she does want to go to prom it's such an important victory and it's like the mm-hmm. kind of thing that you maybe wouldn't tell your friends about later because it feels too small but like we all remember that moment where we stood up to peer pressure and was like no i'm gonna do what i like and i don't care if everybody else likes this band or not yeah. like it, I, it's just so good
0: it is.
2: So good. And I love that the movie gave us that moment too for her basically abandoning her friend, her oldest friend yeah. uh, for the new cool kids because I feel like, uh, you know, we, we all kind of go through that in high school a little. Um, and it captures that so well and them coming back together and her talking with
0: her friend uh, at her apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so I know that I keep <laughs> coming back to the dad so you have to forgive me. The you dad. have to forgive me because <laughs> as a new dad I, I was definitely relating to him. But uh, for me, the moment that just utterly destroyed me in this movie is when uh, the dad is leaving the job interview, and his son steps yeah. in and he goes and mm-hmm. adjusts his tie and like legit. I mean, I'm like getting, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting emotional yeah. just mentioning it right now. Like he legitimately wants wants the son to do well at the job interview that he is too old to do, you know. And and the right. fact also that when the son walks into that moment. He did take all of the shit out of his face, yeah. you know that that Lady yeah. Bird had mentioned. Like, just beautiful, simple moments. It it is a movie full of those things. There's just little moments of clarity and moments of of truth that you you live for in cinema. Yeah, it's beautiful.
2: Yeah, I think honestly, this movie just has made me much more excited to see what Greta Gerwig writes and directs next rather than uh maybe what she stars in next yeah and you know through new f- no fault of her own really i i just think she started getting cast as this sort of like she was the cool new york girl mm-hmm. in so many films like this young you know uh, kind of like a manic pixie dream girl except the indie version right. of that whatever that would she make. became a sense of
1: shorthand uh,
2: yeah yeah and i love that her voice uh, we're getting to see her actual voice now and it's so much more interesting in so many ways
0: and so many of the side characters i mean the the whole uh the way the uh gay boyfriend uh evolved the way that evolves and and that moment where he comes to her in that you know in the outside the the restaurant and yeah. she just hugs him you know it's like it's so beautiful and you know it's so so many of those things ha- unfold in a way that's not cookie cutter and not the way you expect and and speaks to a more human sloppier realistic way we deal with each other and, and I just it's, a, it's such strong writing it's really great
2: mm-hmm.
0: alright anything else you guys have or, or should we wrap this up
2: no uh, I would say hopefully you haven't you know, gotten into spoilers without seeing the movie, but it's honestly something I'd like to revisit soon. Um, Maybe not in theaters, but this is a film I could see revisiting quite a bit.
1: Yeah. I think it's beautiful. I think it'll hold up as like one of the coming age movies that people like, not that just people will grow up with, but that people will Mm -hmm. like remember and hold close because it just, it speaks a lot to being a young person and hitting that tangle of being a teenager on your way to adulthood and how complicated and scary and and ultimately ludicrous the whole thing is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a crazy time of life, (laughs) Uh, and a beautiful movie. It will certainly be on my top of the year lists, um, this year. So that's it for Lady Bird. Um, and, uh, I, and that's it for our episode. Uh, Christy Pushko, thank you so much for being here. Uh, tell people where they can follow your work on the internet.
1: I write all over, but you can find career highlights at decadentcriminals.com. That's kind of just a blog I maintain to keep people up with all my reviews and stuff. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Christy Puchko, K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. And yeah, that's the way to find me.
0: Awesome. Um, You can always... Find more of our work, more episodes of this show at slash filmcast.com. And remember, if you have comments or questions, you can send that to slash filmcast at gmail.com. Devendra, how can people follow the things you do on the Internet? Oh, yeah. I'm at Davindra
2: on Twitter, and that's where I spend most of my time when I'm just you know, wasting time online. I write about tech at gadget.com.
0: I have several other shows as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And if you like video games, I have a couple of video game shows, including a daily video game show called Newest Latest Best, which you can find wherever you get podcasts or at anchor.fm slash NLB. And a weekly video game long-form show with guests called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I also have a comedy science show Called We Have Concerns That you can find at wehaveconcerns.com We appreciate you hanging with us uh, We will be back next week In fact For, for a tiny I think, I think we, we can also reveal That this might be the triumphant return Of our own Jedi We have a return of the Jedi Having our own Jedi, Dave Chen I think will be triumphantly <laughs> returning After his sabbatical uh, to be uh, with us to review The Last Jedi next week. I think a film a few people are excited about, including yours truly. So <laughs> so check back with us next week. And uh, we wish you a, a happy holiday season. And we'll see you next time. We're out.